0: Jill Cody, and welcome to Be Bold America. Be Bold America is a live, bi-weekly talk show for those who are motivated to step out with the actions necessary to begin reuniting this country and saving our democracy. Today... There are powerful people who think that democracy gets in their way of maximizing money and power. The authoritarian dictator, totalitarian despot desires to enforce strict obedience at the expense of personal freedom. This week, we saw one of the consequences of such an authoritarian force on the House Republicans when only four of them would vote for a resolution condemning the president's tweets as racist. When it was long understood that saying, if you're not happy here, you can leave as a racially biased harassment, and the House Republicans know it. Yet only four out of 197 House Republicans exercised personal freedom to vote their conscience, and two of them are retiring. This is one of the ways authoritarians play out Play out, plays out in Congress. We have big things to do. Today's topic is Trump's authoritarian playbook. What's next? We will be speaking with Dr. Ruth Banquet who is professor of history and Italian studies at New York University. She is a specialist of 20th century international and cultural history. She writes on war, fascism, empire, authoritarian personalities, and the politics of images and sound. She is the author of six books with a new one coming in 2020 titled Strong Men, How They Rise, Why They Succeed, How They Fall. Her book, Italian Fascism's Empire Cinema, Won an award, and Ruth was whisked off to Edinburgh for its acceptance. I know this because we needed to reschedule this interview, and the timing became even better after an astonishing week of US presidential race based malfeasance. In addition, Ruth writes for CNN.com, Huffington Post, The Washington Post, and just this past Thursday, you may have seen her on MSNBC's Chris Hayes show. Hi, Ruth. Welcome to Be Bold America. It is an honor to speak with you. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. We are very happy to have you here. In the studio is a friend of the program, Dr. Ronnie D. Lipschutz. Dr. Lipschutz is professor of politics at University of California, Santa Cruz, where he has taught since 1990, and who is also the president of the Sustainable Systems Research Foundation in Santa Cruz. He received his PhD in energy and resources from UC Berkeley, and an SM in physics from MIT. He teaches and writes about energy, social sustainability, foreign policy, global politics, sociology, domestic politics, popular culture, and the surveillance society. He is author and co-author and editor and co-editor of numerous books and articles. His most recent book with Dr. Doreen Sabinski is Environmental Politics for a Changing World, Power, Perspectives, and Practices. Thank you, Ronnie. Again, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you. It's good to be back.
0: Uh, Ruth, I'll begin with you First, uh, before we get into an intense discussion, I'm sure it will be for the next hour, would you quickly explain what authoritarianism is? And also, in your bio, you wrote fascism in the plural, fascisms. Is there more than one type of fascism? So to start with that... um I think, you know, fascism is is a word
2: used to describe a, a, a one-party state that, you know, started in the interwar period with Mussolini in 1920s and Nazi Germany in 1930s, and the dictatorship, um, nationalist, uh, had social uh, origins, but very nationalist, imperialist. And I say fascism's because Italy and Germany were a little bit different, and I like to distinguish among them and there are also many other, there were other national fascist movements that maybe didn't take power but there's a variety of fascisms out there, that's that's why. Authoritarianism uh, today authoritarianism doesn't need to have a one party state. Um, it, it refers at its most basic to a system where the, where the uh, executive um, you know the leader kind of does an executive overreach and it usually goes with a kind of cult of Personality of a, all of society rotates around a leader. And the executive, um, you know, is overbearing at the expense of the judiciary, at the expense of parliament. Some people use authoritarianism to describe um, dictatorships. Uh, in my book, Strongman, I'm actually using that as a kind of... Um, uh, umbrella term um, to talk about uh, to talk about both dictatorships and newer um, regimes like Putin's today where you have the facade of democracy but the, the reality
0: of repression. Well, why is a strong man returning? I remember when I was on a radio interview tour for my book, America Abandoned, it was just before the 2016 presidential election, and an interview host asked, uh, said to me, we need a strong man in office, and my response was really visceral in saying, no, that's not what we do in a democracy. Why do people who are born in a democracy and have enjoyed its personal freedoms their entire life are ready to throw it away for an authoritarian? Um and in other countries, too, that we see the strong man returning.
2: Well... I think in places like Russia, um, and you could say Hungary, we have Orban, mm-hmm. these are countries that had many, many years of communism. They had dictatorship. So every, every society comes into this with a very different history of democracy or the lack thereof. So if you look at the history of Russia, they've had very little freedom. So you could say that, and, and Putin, in fact, has resurrected many uh, communist traditions In fact, now there are statues of Stalin coming back. So it's more shocking to see it um, unfold or have a taste for it in a place like America, which had authoritarian traditions in the South where we did not have democracy. Uh, We had, you know, segregationism. But never on a national scale have there been so many people who think they want a strong leadership. Now, in reality, they, I, this upsets me very much because you know, I receive since I started writing about Trump, I received the first mails I would receive were from people who fled regimes all over the world to come to America because it was a beacon of freedom. And and it's very sad that a lot of these Republicans you mentioned in your opening, they have no idea what they've never lived under a regime. They have no idea what it really means. Um, so it's more shocking when it occurs in places that had no
1: Um, National experience of repression, Doctor Lipschutz. You know, I I want to weigh in because I think there's a a, an existential issue here as well. Um, What what I've observed, you know, and and I'm not a psychologist or a a psychoanalyst, is that people want a purpose in life. They want some kind of reason. To get up in the morning. And institutions like churches, like religions, like ideologies give them that purpose. And it's a collective purpose as well. And uh, what we don't have, haven't ha- really had in the United States since the end of the Cold War, is some kind of purpose. Um, and I don't know if you saw this morning, uh, yesterday in the New York Times, there's an article about Steve Bannon reviving the Committee on the Present Danger in its yeah. fourth its fourth iteration, and this time the great enemy is China. And the idea here is to drum up a hysteria, which creates you know a national crusade. That's what the uh, purpose of the United States becomes. And and it seems to me that what Trump has has managed to do in his own somewhat incompetent way is to is to to play on that kind of desire people want to have a purpose and they also want to know what they should do now this is not of course everyone, but this is a, a kind of a broad a broad phenomenon and and those of us who are loyal to democracy uh, say, well you know the democracy in itself is the purpose right the 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 back and forth is how we decide what the society is going to do. But there isn't this higher purpose. I mean, that's what Putin has basically brought to Russia, right? Is this kind of, this sort of image of the, the Russian destiny. Um, yes, that's
2: the national mission. Yeah, the that,
1: national mission. But the other yeah. thing I wanted to point out was that I think that the Republican congressmen are scared, I can't say the word I guess, it's one of Carlin's seven, George Carlin's seven words, um, that <laughs> right. they're scared to death <laughs> about the upcoming election. Right that that they're triangulating between what they may or may not believe and what they 're worried that their their voters want, so i don 't think that the congressmen are necessarily uh you know authoritarians at heart they're just very much pursuing their own self interests um, so but but you know the base, I would say you know there's something different going on there,
2: Ruth. Yeah, what so what Trump's been really um very skilled at doing, because a lot of these the successful strongmen are storytellers. They're very good storytellers. They're yep. good marketers. They see uh, a gap in the political marketplace, and they go in there. Um, and they do it if, they're, if the fascists did it, and Berlusconi did it after the fall of communism, and Trump did it. And one of the things that made Trump stand out to me immediately, um, you know, not in a good way, um, I knew something special uh, Special was going on, is that he started talking about um, what I, negative emotions. He started talking about how humiliated Americans are abroad, how everybody's laughing at Americans, how the country was going down the tubes. It's, you know, full of rusted cities and crime. And this is a very different story than uh, liberal Democrats tell. Um, you know, they talk more about progress, not that they don't diagnose problems, but this was a kind of apocalyptic scenario. And, and he kept it up all the way to his acceptance speech, and then his inauguration speech was a total downer. He talked about tombstones, and people were like, "What is going on?" And I thought, "Uh oh, I know what's going on. <laughs> this is what I've seen before. I've seen it with you know Mussolini. I've seen it with Hitler. And and what you do is it, you have to, in order to be the savior of the nation and to have the national mission and to be a charismatic leader, you have to say that." There's a crisis and so you have to make things look as bad as possible really going down the tubes so then you come in and you're the savior so, and, and that is very appealing to people and the other part of this is that you immediately um, identify someone they can hate and they can blame So Trump fooled around for a while. It was going to be Muslims, and you had the Muslim travel ban, and now he settled more on immigrants. Um, And people, unfortunately, people want to have, this goes back to what you were saying, um, they want to have certainty, but they want to have an enemy, and they want to feel good about being able to blame someone sanctioned by the state.
0: Well, he did say, only I can fix it.
1: But that point yeah, about victimization is- and the stab in the back, you know, basically mm-hmm. this is the, the old German story of the stab in the back in World War I, that there are people out there who are, uh, and it's a deep state, it's the same kind of thing. There's all of these multifarious forces who are, are victimizing the true Americans.
0: I need to take a station identification. You're listening to Be Bold America on KSQD 90.7 FM. Your ink spot on the dial. You may listen worldwide online at ksqd.org. We're speaking with Dr. Ruth Benguet. Professor of History and Italian Studies at New York University, and Dr. Ronnie Lipschutz, Professor of Politics at University of California, Santa Cruz. I'm your host, Jill Cody. And before we start again, Ruth, am I pronouncing your last name right? <laughs> uh, ben Giat. Giat Ben Giat. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. You're so, Ruth.
2: Um. Yeah, so we're so it's interesting when Ronnie's talking about uh, the, this new addition to the um, the, the landscape of um, anxiety uh, because right-wing leaders have to have people in a state of constant anxiety in a state of constant emotion so now China there's the focus on China but um, that's going to be for ordinary Americans it's going to be a little more abstract and I think that... The real tragedy, of course, is, is the the um, which, unfortunately, I had you know, I had chopped around an op ed that no one wanted uh, a year and a half ago, talking about how I thought the next stage of the authoritarian playbook was going to be the militarization of the country, a kind of internal security state and a kind of forever war inside the country, which is of course the border. Um, so the migrant is. Um, a very, you know, it's a very tangible, especially since there's been a, uh, there's been this show of we possess these migrants and we're treating them badly, which appeals to the base. So that's, I think, going to stay uh, a focus for for a long, long time.
1: No, no. I, I, I think, I think this. Yeah, and this began after 9/11, um, right. and it's a kind of emerging of of uh, fear, the lack of national mission, and the technology. Um, yeah. all, all coming together, and uh, you know and many people think well we 've already been militarized with police driving you know, armored vehicles and things like that. Uh, the Defense Department has been happy to get rid of its surplus equipment, giving mm-hmm. it to cities, so all of these things right are sort of building, building up to that, or seem to be.
2: Yeah, and well what so one of the things about to, to Jill to your um, you know why do why do these people why do these strong leaders come up and why do people like them what often happens is that there are all these things going on in the culture already uh, illiberal um, movements and anxieties and then once in a while um, somebody comes on the scene often from outside of politics um, or from a fringe movement um, they And they pose as a kind of rebel, a disruptor, in in Americans like to say disruptor. And they say they're going to shake up everything. And they're these very charismatic figures, very problematic figures, larger than life. And they end up coalescing around themselves all of these things, like Ronnie was saying, that are already going on. And they give form to them. And they're very appealing to people. And one of the things that in my research for my book, which is going over 100 years, keeps recurring, is that when you have the right person, they end up with these coalitions that are totally heterogeneous, like people who had nothing to do with one another. You have clergy and thugs. You have, you know, businessmen. And and you have all kinds of people who are swept in uh, by these these strong leaders who also are complete BSers. I'm not going to say the word because that's the other rule, where they'll literally say they're they're professional liars, right, all of them. And they say one thing in the morning to one constituency, and they say the opposite in the afternoon. And yet it doesn't harm them, and the lying doesn't harm them. Uh, And this is where their kind of, their person, their, their cult of personality holds everything together. But what happens is when you've had all these illiberal... Um, trends already going on they get hugely accelerated and so militarization is one of them.
0: Oh my, well um talking about the cult of personality, you know, Jim Comey said something that really grabbed me, which he said, um, you know, the former FBI director that Trump fired. um, Jim Comey said, Trump eats your soul. And I thought about that, and it reminded me of something that I had researched a while ago, and that is the dark triad personality. Um, and, And the dark triad personality is narcissism, psychopathy, and Machiavellianism put together. Uh, and you know, I'm, and then just recently this week, I I heard uh, Stephen Colbert call Trump. He's like a creature, of pure energy, and our horror only makes him stronger. <laughs> and, and the And the dark triad personality to me is is when you talk about a cult of personality i I think people see him as a narcissist, and that 's true, but I think he 's much worse than that when you start putting the psychopathy and the machiavelli into it now i 'm obviously not a um, psychotherapist, but I can read and I can observe and um with narcissism, uh, we we can see that you know that he believing that he's better than others and constantly fantasizing about power, success, and attractiveness, and having disdain for inferior people and exaggerating achievements and being boastful. But a psychopath also is drawn to the limelight and uh, likes to be in positions of power, and they have you know grandiose estimation of themselves, and they constantly need for stimulation. And they're serial liars. <laughs> so we've got that. But then you add the Machiavellian to it, which is the usage of fear and the frequently cunning and deceitful and, and cynical disregard of morality. And, and I'm wondering, uh, Ruth, just how many people in, um, in history have really been that dark triad personality where you get that perfect storm of these three put together, and they make a very powerful authoritarian. What are your thoughts on that?
2: They do, and um, well, thank God, not that many have gotten, because it's not easy to commandeer a whole country and get to power, but the ones who are successful uh, pretty much have the same personality, and it's with zero pleasure that I say that all the things you describe, Trump maps on almost 100% to all of these rulers, whether it's Mobutu in in Congo, which you renamed Zaire, or Mussolini, they, they all are similar, and but what we can they also because of this have a lot of weaknesses and it's very frustrating that we don't learn from history so one thing is they because they're narcissists and they crave uh, attention they want to colonize our minds and our attention 24-7 you know you have to take their oxygen away mm. um, so I'll leave I know you have a part at the end about what not to do what to keep doing so I won't yes the keep start stop
0: this. save it yes, for the, yes save it Yeah.
2: Yeah, but but they're 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 very weak and brittle. Um, they all act the same. This is why they keep firing and hiring people, and they abuse people. They ritually humiliate people uh, because they're actually extremely weak people. And if somebody stood up to them uh, very directly, they crumble. And one of the um, again, this is very frustrating to me because you know I understood immediately what what was going on during the uh, the debate, the Republican the he was just a candidate. Um, Megan Kelly uh, was a moderator, and she hammered him relentlessly. She was very, very tough on him and he crumbled. He, he couldn't take it. And then he set up a whole thing that she had the misogyny, she had blood oozing from everywhere. And then what did he do? He boycotted the next debate because he just couldn't take it. He, and so I was hoping people understood that you, that's what you have to do with them and then you would have been out of there. Um, because psychologically, cognitively, emotionally, these personalities can't handle that. So what they do instead, they build, if they get into power, they build buffers And bunkers around themselves. They have family, they have sycophants, because they are extremely
0: fragile interim cabinet members <laughs> yeah
1: uh, you know I wanted to say something about the Machiavelli part uh, Machiavelli is 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 greatly misunderstood um, and the way that we use the term is not at all really what he wrote about but one of the things that's important about that is you know it's about advice to the prince and it's about the prince listening to those who are, are interested in helping him and it was all men right uh, rule the country. And one of the interesting things you see here is that Trump doesn't seem to really listen to any consistent set of advisors because they're trying to advise him this is how I think about it, they're trying to advise him on strategy and he has no conception of that or very little conception of that. So what he does is you know, just sort of comes out in the spur of the moment to attract attention. If you want to look at Machiavellianism look at the George W. Bush administration where the president was clearly being manipulated by the people around him, by Cheney, by I, um uh, Wolfowitz and um, what's his name, Rumsfeld. Um, and I don't actually see that happening here in the same way. That doesn't mean he's any less uh, psychopathic or narcissistic or dangerous. But but I don't want to put too much on the idea that there really is something coherent going on here. And maybe, maybe that's part of the authoritarian playbook, right, is that you keep people mm-hmm. on their toes by not actually putting forth any kind of Coherent program or strategy, I, I, you know. As I think about That's, it,
2: that is exactly that is exactly right. In fact, one of the things that keeps recurring uh, through all these profiles of these leaders is that they rule by chaos. Yeah, they yeah. keep everything in a state of chaos. And again, the precedents are not uh, flattering to to our situation. It's Mobutu, mm-hmm. Gaddafi, Saddam Hussein, um, Hitler. Hitler was less. Um, he actually kept the same people working. For him, for like over twenty years, from way before he got power. But the rest of them are higher in fire. You never know where you are. They have uh, they're very um, they're, they have emotional outbursts. Uh, they're very irascible. Um, so it's chaos, um, the administrative chaos too. Um, so that's I'm glad you raised that point because that's an important part of it. And and people there's a lot of psychological anxiety and and uh, scholars of these other rulers say that one of the most devastating things, because some of these people are in, they're in power for decades, is that you're on the edge all the time. You're living in uncertain, with uncertainty. And we've already seen that. We got a taste of that right after the inauguration with the um, very chaotically implemented Muslim travel ban um and and you know it's very difficult uh for for so many reasons to have a ruler like that
0: well, even his um inaugural speech was american carnage um, yes. yes and i would it be machiavellian I, I I see when he came in there was also the um demonizing the fbi and the intelligence agencies and now they're you know shutting down departments or at least saying if you don't move in a couple of weeks uh you'll you know you'll be fired and, and in the case of the usda scientists there's no building for them to move into in kansas That's city missouri yeah yeah yeah
2: and actually, the, it's not an untold story, but it's, if somebody um, puts everything that's happened to the bureaucracy, which isn't a sexy subject, but it's very important, um, it's devastating. It's absolutely devastating. there's are certain... certain um, uh, agencies that we we hear more about like the State Department where thousands and thousands of people have left uh, or you and there's also with the with authoritarians they have different ways to get rid of people they have uh, firing people but they also have they make it a hostile workplace and so people leave um, there's many ways to push people out but what's happened to the bureaucracy is is staggering actually um, and this is part of um, I, I agree with Ron. I don't think that Trump himself has this grand strategy, but the people around him do. Um, Bannon had one quite um, very, very, very detailed strategy, and right after the inauguration, I published a piece in CNN um, and I was happily surprised they published it because it said, basically, are we having a coup? <laughs> um, meaning a slow-mo coup, an administrative coup, a kind of you, you, you get rid of people over the long run, you have a circle of insiders, you're not touchable, and from that basis you change you change the nation. Um, and some of that has come to pass if we look at what, things like what you just said. The, and, and it's very difficult to govern that Way so
0: he he too is a governor through chaos. You are listening to Be Bold America on KSQD 90.7 FM. Many voices, one station. I'm your host, Jill Cody, and I have the honor to be speaking with Dr. Ruth Ben get Professor of History and Italian Studies at New York University, and Dr. Ronnie Lipschutz, Professor of Politics of University of California, Santa Cruz. And uh, also, re- a promo here, um, tune in to KSQD Monday evening at 6 o'clock for Climate One, produced by the Commonwealth Club. Climate One is a forum for candid discussion among climate scientists, policymakers, activists, and concerned citizens with a focus on energy, the economy, and the environment. Climate One airs Monday evening at 6 p.m. right after Talk of the Bay here on KSQD 90.7 FM. And we're returning back to Ruth and Ronnie. Ruth, something else in your mind there that uh, I interrupted you with? No, no. Uh, just one
2: other thing about the lack of... that. Uh, both of you have mentioned in some way about their, the amoral character of these people. And... Um you know, it's 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 very um not it's not cheery, but these are really rulers and I'm including Trump who they they don't see any value in human life beyond what People can do for them, and Trump has manipulated and uh, used and discarded everyone in his entire life. Practically, uh, even his father, who, as we now know, um, you know, gave him something like I've forgotten the number—hundred million dollars. Uh, he's you know, he he bailed him out every time. He just saved him over and over again. Trump tried to rewrite his father's will while the father was still alive to try and get all of his money. Um, he's really. Thank <laughs> And what it translates into as a as a leader is that they see people in the aggregate populations. This is why they're into white nationalism, into they're into demography and population politics, and they really uh, have no regard. If you're not in the correct category of citizens, uh, they have zero regard for you, and they want you to know it. So when Trump, one of the it's a while ago now, but it's one of the defining moments of the early presidency um, when he went to Puerto Rico. And he he gave paper towels. Remember that yes. image where he's giving paper towels. He's telling them, you know, again, it's not it's not sayable on air, but he's telling them what he thinks of them by giving them like a, a tiny band aid when they have you know an enormous disaster. And then also um, his lovely wife Melania, who wearing the jacket, uh, uh, in a different tragedy, to say, I really don't care. And they really don't care because these were people of color. Um, so they they have no moral code, and they have no—people like them, though, for this. Their, their supporters think they're very authentic because they're not um, engaging in social niceties. They're saying and doing exactly what they want to.
1: Well— so, just to, to shift things a little bit, right? I mean, I, I, I think it raises important questions about what can or should the Democrats do. What can or should the Democrats do, right? I mean, uh, they're all engaged in debates over policy issues while while this whole thing is going on, which to which they have very little sort of response... Or they're not able to respond to it in a comparable way, right? Because that's un- uncivilized, and but but it seems to me that it is somehow critical to engage with that. And, and you know, again, uh, uh, autocrats have been overthrown, right, or or yeah. forced out of office. I mean, I don't imagine we're going to have a color revolution, but um, have, do you have any insights from your you know from your work?
2: A few, I mean, I'm I'm a huge believer in. Well, you, you have to push back as hard as possible mm-hmm. um, using every legal instrument, using nonviolent protest. But as as elites, like meaning the Nancy Pelosi's, you have to have a very united and aggressive because these these people are again they're weak. Um, they're bullies, but they're weak. And this is, I'm a fan of impeachment proceedings uh, because it's very important to have that public reckoning to put him under the microscope for the public to see. And uh, I've tweeted a lot, like many other people, uh, my displeasure that there's a timidity. I also think that the Democrats are somehow afraid that the whole House will fall down. And I I don't mean the House and the House and the Senate. I mean the whole political system. There's a kind of reluctance to be aggressive in that way, but it's, history shows it's the absolute only way that these people, they, they don't respect anything but force. And I'm not saying force in a military way, but assertive, assertive feedback. The other thing that's, uh, been, that's important is uh, nonviolent protest. And lately I think people are very exhausted, and when I mention protest, people think they're a little defeatist, they think it's not going to work. But it does work, and we can never forget that Trump is obsessed with crowd sizes, he's obsessed with his public um, perception, the public perception of him, what goes on the news, he's obsessed with optics, and... Millions of Americans out there repeatedly would be a very um, good thing to do, and it realize it's not at all easy to organize, but it was done for the Women's March uh, right after the inauguration. It can be done again.
0: Well, and I have a subject to bring up, and this is an intense uh, conversation. And to make it more intense, (laughs) I wanted to ask you your thoughts on uh, something else that I had read a while ago, which was the the 10 stages of genocide. Um, going into a very dark place here, but but I think putting light on these things helps us understand. And and I completely agree with um, we need to have a more aggressive approach uh, with the uh, the man who's in the Oval Office, and and stand up to him. But I I see when I was reviewing um, the ten stages of genocide. L- Bits and pieces of stages one through eight. Um, nine and ten. So one is classification, uh, which is distinguishing people into us and them based on ethnicity, race, religion and nationality. And, you know, the refugees of the borders, um, you know, the sender back chance, the zero tolerance policy, talking about uh, bullets dipped in pig's blood. I mean, we wouldn't do that, of course, so that must be that class, those people. And the other being symbolism, you know, give names or other symbols to the classifications of ethnicity, race, religion, and nationality. And, of course, right away, he talked about Mexicans being murderers and rapists and Muslims being terrorists and blacks are lazy and... but I, But also, I thought what was interesting is his symbol of his hat, um, which is really the symbol of, um, of his ethnic classification, you know, the MAGA hat. And then there's the discrimination. Um, a dominant group uses the law and custom and political power to deny the rights of others. You know, so he says, if you're not happy here, you can leave. Or reverses the long-held and valued asylum laws that this country's had. And then four is dehumanization. Dehumanizing is when one group treats another group as second-class citizens. Well, we we see that so um, uh, with such horror at the border and um, in. in Comparison with animals and parasites and insects and diseases, and he's talked about them as a infestation, and that they bring disease. And and then the organization number five is genocide is always organized usually by the state through sometimes informally. So what is ICE? What is what are the private prison systems? But the informal organization, um, you know, the border patrol Facebook group that basically said if they die they die. Um, six is polarization. And um, you know, extremists drive the groups apart. And I just, I just feel like the GOP has just been polarized out of society here by their silence. And then preparation, um, you know, national or perpetrator of group leaders plan the final solution. And just this week, Trump promoted an activist who called for the final solution on um, Muslims, as uh, a British political commentator, Katie Hopkins. And then. Aid is persecution? Uh, you know, victims are identified and separated out of their by their ethnic and religious identity. And it it seems to me, why why would um, they want the video of? Uh, out there show in front of the cages with the male refugees if they didn't want to show that they've been persecuted and dehumanized for their base so um, 9 and 10 is extermination and denial and we don't I don't see but what are your thoughts on that because um, this is I don't know how else to raise this that, that, that things are more serious and I think the general population, or even our democratic leadership, um, realize. Your thoughts, Ruth? Well, some
2: of the classic um, genocides we know were done in during war. Um, or situations of military occupation, which were also wars. I'm thinking about the fascists and the Nazi ones. There's certainly ones that are not like that, like Stalin's um, genocide uh, of uh, peasants and other, many others. Um, I think that uh, it's it's not clear at all what the... It's a very large country, very complex country. It's not clear at all what the final outcome or goal is. Um, I, I have tweeted. I think that you know there could be a push to get rid of people from the nation for it, like to see what happens today with authoritarians. They because of social media and other things. Genocides are a little bit rarer. Uh, They're certainly not gone. You have Syria, et cetera. But um, they try and encourage people to leave or they lock people up, which is what China's doing. Uh, I don't know if those people are being exterminated. I don't don't think so. We don't have that much information about what's going on. They have a million or two million people locked up, the Muslims. But what is very clear is Trump has been very successful in creating an enemy. Um, and it's interesting, a lot of Americans already hated immigrants. Um, I myself grew up in California, and I had uh, two immigrant parents, and one was uh, quote, acceptable from Scotland, uh, you know, green eyes, turned up nose, very pale. The other from the Middle East, dark, not acceptable. And I, there were numerous episodes, including. To going to Tijuana I was from from Southern California you would go there getting pulled over interrogated so you there, there's always been a lot of mistrust and, and hatred what's been interesting for Trump's kind of propagandistic powers is that the, the press was disliked by some but not to the degree uh, where people are chanting and there's you know been been violence against the press so he's got the ability to whip up hatred um, which we've seen. And he also does this thing that... People who have engaged in genocide have done in the past is called scripted violence. Hannah Arendt mm-hmm. talked about that, where you you have clean hands, you take everybody to the brink, but you don't actually say to do it. You just let them. It's like when he was he was faking that he wasn't actually uh, hadn't planned the chance to send her back yes. at the last rally about represented Oman, representative Oman. Um, so there are many there are many preconditions that. Need to be there for mass violence. Some of them he is working on, um, but it's not clear to me right now what the goal is.
1: Um, one of the one of the things that uh, that. Facilitates that kind of violence. One of the things that facilitates that kind of violence is geographic, you know, separation or location. And it's sort of interesting, you know, the whole blue-red uh, sort of, you know. Uh, characterization of the United States is kind of a first step, it seems to me, in creating that sort of division. And of course, if life becomes uncomfortable in a red state, what do you do? You would move to a blue state or you would move to a city. Um, So there's a kind of, you know, the potential for geographic uh, uh, concentration, at which point it becomes easier to deploy actual violence and I keep coming back to this recognition that there are a lot of guns out there Mm -hmm. um, and Mm -hmm. it doesn't take Probably wouldn't take very much at some point for some people to start shooting at other people, and that you know, and that then sort of drives a fear. Th- then you have to move if you want to survive. You know, Yugoslavia is sort of a model of of this. When your neighbors turn against you, uh, what can you do but move where there are more people? You know, of of your groups. I, I you know, I sort of see the possibility, the literal possibility of civil war breaking out at some point in the next you know ten or twenty years around this kind of of separation into basically urban and you know semi urban and rural. Um, but you've you know and, and that then facilitates the possibilities of actual organized violence.
2: Yeah, I think I, th- I agree with all that, and and this is the big American exceptionalism. The real American exceptionalism is the 300, probably 400 million guns by right. now. And I, I should say that no other regime or or country that went into a regime, even right the ones right after World War One, they did not have this amount of guns floating around. And Putin's not stupid enough to let people have so many guns. Now, the only person who started talking about relaxing Fixing gun policies is Bolsonaro in Brazil. Mm-hmm. And Salvini, but he's not the prime minister yet. But this makes, this is what Ronnie said is absolutely true. This makes, uh, this is the big unknown, these these armed, angry people, and that's very frightening. And I also agree that you have the civil war precedent and that mediates so that, that's why when I'm, it's very, when I said I don't see an outcome, it's, it is more towards civil war or perhaps uh, but the, the ideological outcome they want is clear. They want a white ethno state, a white nationalist ethno state. Um, the, the rest, uh, I, I agree more with the trajectory that Ronnie
0: uh, laid out. You are listening to Be Bold America on KSQD 90.7 FM, your ink spot on the dial. Listen worldwide online at KSQD.org. Hi, I'm Amy Goodman, host of Democracy Now! Tune in to our award-winning morning news program right here during primetime,
2: 8 o'clock weekday mornings, right here on Squid on KSQD. Our independent news program offers diverse perspectives, unique opinions unheard in the mainstream media, live as the news unfolds. Tune in for Democracy Now! The War and Peace Report, weekday mornings at 8, right here on KSQD
0: Community Radio, 90.7 FM. Also, after last week's program, we were discussing uh, bold solutions for a democracy in crisis with our guest, Johannes Epke, the Legal Counsel for American Promise. He gave us permission to post their handout, Seven Ways to Make History in 15 Minutes a Week. And if you're interested on how to make history in 15 minutes a week, uh, visit jillcodyauthor.com and it's posted there as Be Bold Toolbox Strategy Number 6. Now, back to our guest, Dr. Ruth Ben-Gett. Professor of History and Italian Studies at New York University, and Dr. Ronnie Lipschutz, Professor of Politics at the University of California, Santa Cruz. So, Ruth, I did have a question, um, you know, just for you personally, because, you know, what is it like on you personally to know what you know and see what's playing out in this country? I, several years ago, I started writing my book, America Abandoned: The Secret Velvet Coup That Cost Us Our Democracy, and I could see things um coming and and watched our democracy start slipping away and i'd be talking to other people and it just wasn't very interesting to others at that time and i i felt so alone because i could see um what was ahead and i'm i'm wondering how this is affecting you too
2: I would say that I started writing in 2015 about Trump and did a lot of op-eds in, you know, from then, and I've been doing them ever since. But in that very early period, um, that was, I I never felt alone, because it's a a large country and there's many people doing good work, but... um, it, and I and I had decided to write for CNN, which really reaches the website, it re- reaches a sh- huge swath of the population. And this was seen a little by un- unusual. It wasn't writing for the New Yorker or the New York Times, and it also wasn't writing for the Nation. Um, and so I would receive uh, uh, many um, unpleasant emails <laughs> from people uh, because I was the first to say certain things. Uh, maybe not the first, but in a small group. And but one of the, the a, a nice thing is that there's a there's a large community of people who do see what's coming and are working very hard and I think the media doesn't Um, cover the we can call it resistance, we can call it pushback um, the vast quantity of amazing initiatives that are happening around the country to um, push back against Trump um, from people um, who are in ethics, uh, like the CRU is their acronym, to um, I advise a group called Protect Democracy and they are former Department of Justice lawyers and they've done a huge amount of legal Uh, work to, um, I I actually signed on to an amicus brief uh, suing, it's PEN America, the the organization that's for freedom of expression sued Trump, and I signed on as an expert to that. There's there's a huge amount of um, activity that we don't hear about, and that's a shame because that would um, be very... um, Uplifting for many Americans who may feel a bit hopeless. So I feel a community. Uh, At the beginning, I felt isolated and also got a lot more hate mail and had problems. I had to move my office and security problems. Oh, my. Yeah, well, when you're, you know, when you're early doing things, or people also thought it was alarmist. Uh, that and there was a discussion in history uh, among historians, should you even be doing this? Should you be you know forecasting in this way? And I decided to ignore all of that because it's just it 's just what I had to do. I have this knowledge, and I need to to try and do civic education um, but now there 's a big community, and um, that I definitely am part of. Uh, I just wish the media would um, cover the um, the amazing efforts that people are, you know, engaging in all over the, all over our country.
0: So, what is next? Trump's authoritarian playbook, what's next? Um, yeah, yes, <laughs> Get your crystal ball out.
1: <laughs> That's just the point, you know, who yeah. knows what's next, right? Uh, it, some of it depends
2: what the Democrats do, but the Democrats don't seem to, I mean, the leadership, don't seem to. Want to do much? I think we are going to hear from Mueller, but I don't think that there was a whole Mueller is our savior period. I think I never was part of that. Um, I think people were looking desperately for something to draw them out of the situation. Um, I think some things are going to get a lot worse. Um, you know, there's the, the the roundups, the ice. I see ice as a kind of paramilitary. That's yes. Now all of that's going to be exacerbated. And, um, uh, you know, it's just not clear what direction it's going to go in beyond these ideological things that we've seen, that we've talked about. Those are going to continue.
0: I'm going to ask you to get your eight ball out now and and ask uh, the question is, if Trump is reelected, what's next?
2: Um. Yeah, you know, it's what's really what gets me um, dismayed is that we're so far from November 2020, and so many uh, things are already happening. Right? Well, if he were reelected, then he—I believe—he would try and act on a lot of the things he's been talking about, like jailing journalists. Because it took him a while to get the right participants, meaning the right craven and corrupt people. um, he now has Barr as Depart- Attorney General. That's very important. Um, and because of that, all kinds of things have happened that are going to allow him um, to do more of what he wants to do. Because the other thing we haven't mentioned, and this was true with Berlusconi also, um, Trump is one of the most corrupt rulers ever. He's one of the most corrupt men uh, in America ever. And he needs to stay in power no matter what so that he doesn't go to jail for all of his fraud and his crimes and all of the things. And so government becomes a kind of self-defense. And it's interesting, um, when Berlusconi and Putin came to power for the first time, they were under investigation for multiple things, and by getting into office, they stopped all of that so if he 's reelected um, he 's going to be he 's going to feel he has a mandate to move on some of these more authoritarian things he 'll also feel that he can get away with anything
0: well and we 've been forewarned with uh, michael cohen 's testimony. he did say he didn 't think Trump would leave. That's right. In these last few minutes, Ruth and Ronnie, um, I'd like to hear your suggestions um, for listeners, what they could keep doing, stop doing, and start doing. And if we can, go through them individually. Um, what can listeners uh, keep doing, Ruth?
2: Um I, I imagine your your audience is fairly politically engaged, so uh, I think uh, keep doing that. I think being active at a local level is important. I think uh, protests are important. I also think perhaps if you have the means to donate to some of the most important humanitarian or other or resistance organizations, that's, that's important if, if you are already doing that. Ronnie you
0: have a keep doing for us
1: well yeah you know, I, I, I sent you some and I'm, I'm mm-hmm. not sure about the wisdom I, I wrote down stop listening to the three-year-old in the White House he has no plan uh, but it might be it might be worth it for uh, people you know opposed to to the administration to stop trying to uh, to see some kind of really well-organized strategy behind all of this I mean I think that's something that throws everyone off you know what does he mean by this what is this what is this portend, and I continue to what I what I said earlier was that he's got advisors around him and they all have their own individual programs and they they're all fighting to get them implemented and that chaos right mm-hmm. pre- prevents prevents coherence so I think recognizing that is something that's that's important. Um, I said, keep a critical mind about American politics on both ends, whether it's, it's left or right. Never, never accept anything that anyone says without you know, thinking about it critically and, and looking into it. And um, start mobilizing to oppose the base for 2020. I think that's one of the most important things. I sort of have, a, have this notion here of some sort of modern equivalent of committees of correspondence, you know, which are, are, are national but local. Um, which is what Ruth was just was just mentioning about local organization, uh, and and I guess there's there, there there are things like that, but I'm not quite sure how that all can you know come together in some kind of coherence. But I think that's important.
0: Ruth, do you um, excuse me? Do you have some stop doing and start doings for us? Yeah, uh, stop retweeting stop retweeting Trump.
2: <laughs> yeah, um, I, I, I've, yeah, I wrote an op-ed for the Washington Post about what not to do. Um, some directed, you know, at beyond our control that the cable companies keep booking people like Kellyanne Conway. But we can we can stop retweeting Trump. We can also stop engaging in, in useless uh, fights on Twitter and Facebook and use that time to go offline because in the history of these things, how to get rid of these people, it's offline organizing. Online organizing can work too, but um, so don't wait our time with that, and start doing um, a little bit with building on Ronnie. Uh, Voter registration is really important. Uh, We have to, we being the the people who would like to defeat Trump, we will have to win by such a huge margin because there's going to be voter manipulation, voter fraud, there's going to be all kinds of things. So the more people who can be registered uh, and that kind of grassroots work, uh, that would be something that would be important to start.
0: It is going to be a mobilization election that's for sure I have a um, a keeper start depending on where one sees himself and that is uh, being a bold citizen they don't abandon their responsibility to participate in democracy really no one can sit on the sidelines any any longer no one um Democracy is how we pluralistically govern together, and that is what Trump is attacking in america so i I just want to one of the missions of this program is try to reunite and save this democracy, and people can 't save it by sitting on the sidelines and Another problem people have is that knowing doing gap and Um, what the trap is they think even though we're talking right now they think that they talk about something but they don't and they feel they've done something and it's not really they really haven't Um, want to motivate people with this uh, radio program and these discussions on getting active and doing something Um, I want to thank Dr. Ruth Benguet, Professor of History and Italian Studies at New York University, and Dr. Ronnie Lipschutz, Professor of Politics at the University of California, for being our guest today. I know I'll be able to twist Ronnie's arm to come in sometime, but will you come back again, Ruth? I barely got through half of my questions. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Uh, You've just been a delight, Um, and and even though it's been an intense uh, topic, uh, shedding light on it, you helped shed light on it. So thank you very much for your time and thank you to you for joining us and i hope you'll tune in next time on be bold america our next show Black Americans and the Painful Truth, we'll be talking uh, with Dr. Wilmer Leon III. Dr. Wilmer Leon is a political scientist whose expertise is in the areas of black politics, American government, and public policy. Dr. Leon is a nationally broadcast radio talk show host on Sirius XM. Uh, his show is titled Inside the Issues with Wilmer Leon. He's a regular contributor to Truthout.org, theroot.com, politics Incolor.com, Color.com, BlackStarNews.com, Black Agenda Report, and over 200 newspapers and websites. His latest book is Politics, Another Perspective, Commentary and Analysis on Race, War, Ethics, and the American Political Landscape. Join me on Sunday, August 4th at 5 p.m. to discuss Black Americans and the Painful Truth. I want to thank Emily Dunham, Be Bold America's Program Assistant, for her technical support, and another big thank you to today's guests Dr. Ruth Benguet and Dr. Ronnie Lipschutz. You're listening to KSQD 90.7 FM Santa Cruz. Many voices, one station and listen worldwide online on ksqd.org My name is Jill Cody. Keep. Stop. Start.